And good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith with another episode of Cinema, and it is brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. Episode 75 turned into a two-parter. I could have let it run and just kept it going into a a full, probably hour-long episode, but I don't like doing that to people. So uh, I broke it into two parts. So the second part is continuing to look at the sky is falling attitude of supposed uh, theatrical distribution going away. That because of COVID-19, theatrical releases are going to go away and everything's going to move to streaming and the days of going to the theater are pretty much over. And you're seeing this across the board in the media, this uh, this is the new normal thing. This is going away. Going out to restaurants is going away. Uh, all, all this kind of stuff, this sky is falling, uh, fear and fear mongering to get you to click, whether it is to be afraid, uh, whether it is to agree or disagree and, and voice your opinion, whatever it may be to me. This is high-profile clickbait, and I've been supporting, at least I believe in the first episode, as to why I don't believe that theatrical distribution and exhibition will go away. I think it's been impacted by COVID. Yes, uh, there is no doubt that uh, streaming will step forward to fill a vacuum, but I still hold that going to the movies is still a night out. The vaccine at the time of this recording is rolling out. And eventually COVID will become a chronic problem. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen by summer, but we will not be under a constant lockdown and we will not be constantly social distancing and having our interior events affected the way that they are. Now, again, could something else come along? Of course. So I'm not discounting that. I'm not getting into a science debate. And this is certainly not a political debate. We recovered from the 1918 Spanish flu and we've recovered from polio and other issues, we will, in my opinion, still be going to the movies. I argued in part one, there were problems with theatrical exhibition long before COVID. And so I walked us through what morphed into basically a look at exactly what we are consuming and how we are consuming it. Movies should be a special place with us as a society. In my opinion, next to science, movies are the closest things human beings can do to magic. That, that's the closest we can come to, to flexing magic or creating magic, aside from the miracles of science and technology. So in the second part, I want to examine the way that we work in not only how we watch movies. I went over that in the previous part of of home theaters and how the DVD and cable and video revolutions changed everything, and yet theatrical exhibitions survived. So I want to look into now a lot of the product that we consume and go from there. We have seen over the last 10 years a huge rise in the number of remakes and reboots, and I love this other word, reimaginings. So first, let's let's take a look at the remake. And the road to the remake is a winding one. 
There is no clear pathway toward the answer of whether they are good or bad or needed or unwanted. Remakes exist, and they will continue to be made because there is demand. Now, my previous episode opened with that quote from George Bush in his post-9-11 speech, which hinted at living life is really a series of consuming events that allow an image that has been dictated to us by a media assault that has shaped us since birth. So what does that have to do with filmmaking and entertainment and theatrical exhibition and distribution? Does art imitate life or the other way around? Why is Disney the mecca of family vacations? Who said women are to look a certain way? Who said that smoking is glamorous, drinking a soda makes you like Michael Jackson or Beyonce or Britney Spears? We have a new generation growing up with incredible access to entertainment. TikTok is a shining example. Cell phones, tablets, video game systems, and computers allow instant access to everything on top of the apps, and many find it for free. Attention spans have declined to where even clips of films on YouTube can be taxing on a viewer. Where does this leave character and story development? So let's cast the net a little wider. Where does this leave actual direction in writing for a film? Like I stated in episode 75, certain films were made in black and white for a reason, and directors made certain choices in their content. A number of films were made for the scope and breadth of the big screen. Watching Lawrence of Arabia, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or any of the Star Wars films on a big screen is an entirely different experience than squeezing down onto a cell phone or tablet screen. When films lose their purpose... When they are stripped of their intended impact and diluted, colorized, digitally altered, they are diminished. So what about the remake? Up until the late 1970s, sequel was a dirty word. I've talked about that especially in my Jaws 2 podcast. Remake has now taken on a similar connotation. And why? Is a remake ever justified? And, and the answer is yes, of course. They are not inherently evil. Have remakes been overdone and glutted the market, giving off the impression that Hollywood has lost its creativity or run out of gas or steam or whatever metaphor you want to use, or just doing a quick cash grab? Well, the answer is yes, of course. Now, look, I've had previous podcasts that have looked at King Kong and Godzilla and, and Friday the 13th as examples of needless remakes, and you can visit any of those episodes. However, let's take a quick look at King Kong. Was the Peter Jackson 2005 Kong remake needed? Well, the answer is no. Was it terrible? Well, it depends on who you ask. However, it doesn't classify as cinema because it was made with passion and love for the source material with a serious intent to entertain us. It is often beautiful, albeit green screened in a digital production. It's often exciting. And the ending is as heartbreaking as the original 1933 classic. It took a higher road than the campy, over-bloated 1976 remake. So what went wrong? There are some stellar remakes. Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1979, The Blob in 1988, The Thing in 1982, which I really don't classify as a remake, and I've spoken about that before. It's more of an original telling of, of the source content, but that's up for you to decide. 2012's Piranha 3D was a lot of fun, and 2013's True Grit was, I thought, terrific and, and far better than the John Wayne original. 
and the list goes on. In fact, Rotten Tomatoes' top 50 list of, of best remakes can be found in, in my show notes that I'm going to uh, include here. I mean, you can add in American remakes of foreign films as well. I often don't see the need for this, but I get it, I guess. And then there are lousy remakes, which are usually deemed as unnecessary or even blasphemous for touching the original material. And I'm looking at you, Ghostbusters 2016. However, we have Poltergeist and Let Me In, Psycho, Planet of the Apes, The Poseidon Adventure, The Stepford Wives, which I remember as being particularly awful, The Grudge, One Miss Call, and the list can go on. And good or bad, there is a common thread of logic or rationalization that binds them the need to update the story for a modern audience. Now, while the intent sounds noble enough, the issue is when the update is geared not toward an audience, but rather a consumer base. There is a difference. Now, Harrison, why are you saying all of this? Because again, this is more than COVID-19 that has soured people on going to the movies. As I discussed in episode 74, the point being that you have also very, very expensive ticket prices now. And, and also the concession stand prices, as I had said, it is now dinner or a movie where it used to be dinner and a movie. So there are a number of things that help keep people away from theatrical release, but that still doesn't mean that the medium is doomed. So let's go back to the good old days. Movie theaters or houses or once were called palaces, well, they were opulent places to spend an evening out. Comedy and newsreels played before the main attraction. Often there were musical overtures preceding the film to build anticipation. I remember that with Star Trek, the motion picture. I'm sitting in this big black box of a movie theater and they played this overture, which was just basically two to three minutes of score to get you anticipating the feature release. And I had never experienced anything like that. Regardless, even smaller non-event films seemed like a big deal. Movie magic was contagious and spread through the audience. Going out to the movies was indeed a night out. And the movie was part of a true experience. It thrilled, it emotionally manipulated, it made folks laugh and scream and jump and applaud, just like I saw with Jaws. Then came the multiplex, the two screens, three screens, four screens, and the expensive touches of curtains and ornate seats and carpets and balconies downsized to large black boxes with stadium seating. Audiences were now consumers, and the goal was to move asses into seats by rotating multiple shows and moving people like cattle down the chute. It worked. And soon the local bijou died and the malls built accommodating cineplexes with three four, six, 10 screens now. I mean, I've been in theaters with 24, 30 screens. Theaters became a confederacy of boxes connected by winding hallways dotted with signs to point you to the right screen. Movie magic lost a little bit of its luster around this time. While movies were created to make money, there was something in the showmanship and presentation that made going to a movie special. At the time I'm broadcasting this, I am far too young to be lamenting about the good old days of when movies were movies. I mean, indeed, I was lucky enough to see many of my films at a local old-time theater. It was run down with watered stained walls and, and ceiling tiles, tattered stage curtains, a condemned balcony, and substandard projection and sound. 
However, it was more fun to see a movie at the historic theater that I saw it in than the cold black boxes up at the mall. Seeing The Empire Strikes Back at this old theater was a fun time and would not have been the same at the mall. A movie was an event. Often the plots needed time to unfold. But when the system of viewing films changed and emphasis was on time and moving bodies into theaters and scheduling for showtimes, audiences shifted their focus on their entertainment. The burgeoning technology of home video and the eventual digital revolution further decimated attention spans and patience for films and for their stories to unfold. Because of the new summer blockbuster mentality started by Jaws, films needed to be bigger in every way. The sequel was generating cash, but the remake was another revenue stream. So let's use King Kong as that example. Most will not argue on the 1933 film being a classic. However, by 1975, in the wake of Jaws, it was seen as old, and worst of all, it was in black and white. The stop motion made it seem dated. Now, I have a whole podcast on dated material to have a listen to that sometime. It was time for a newer Kong, a sexier Kong. And Dino De Laurentiis, the big budget William Castle of his time, well, he knew showmanship and he delivered. Now, the issue I have with this is, was there anything in the 1933 Kong that needed updating? The 1976 remake did not deliver more dinosaurs or, frankly, more action. The innovative artistry of Willis O'Brien was replaced by Rick Baker's Man in a Monkey Suit, and while the suit effects and makeup were indeed impressive, it didn't hold the same magic that the original film had. What exactly does dated mean? I still find Kong's entrance and exit in the 1933 film memorable and moving. The 1976 film was bigger, it was in color, but it didn't really bring anything new to the table. So let's go a little further. Some remakes have the best of intentions. Updating a film almost 50 years old is one thing. But what about the case of Poltergeist or Texas Chainsaw? You can go back to my old podcast on the remake and the repackaging and the reimagining thing. What happens when filmmakers go back and basically refilm the best scenes of previous films and install them into new timelines and pass this off as some kind of hybrid sequel? Well, that was the case with Jurassic World, and it was clearly the case of Terminator Genesis. So why does a classic like Poltergeist need updating for today's audiences? Another argument is, who is the audience? Data shows millennials don't go out to the movies like previous generations. They stay at home. They text, like Generation Z. They communicate via social media, and they pirate. They don't buy or rent films, let alone buy tickets. They torrent over buying tickets, and they are perfectly content seeing a film on their phone or on a tablet or a monitor. I have supporting articles in my show notes about all of this. Does the present generation think of film as art or simply more product to consume? There were three major Sony Spider-Man films under the direction of Sam Raimi. As most fans will agree, the third film, Spider-Man 3, killed the franchise. However, in no time, Sony announced a reboot of their hero. Instead of going with a fourth film in the original timeline, they did a do-over and started again. And that time around, Andrew Garfield stepped in as Peter Parker, and two films, I believe, came out of that venture. And then Sony did it again. 
rebooting with Tom Holland, and then integrating it into the MCU. Now, there are a lot of reasons for this, and I was not a fan of any of the versions of these films. Warner Brothers did this successfully with its Batman series, however. Following the debacle of Batman and Robin, Warners went back to the drawing board and totally rebooted the franchise and saved it from Joel Schumacher. Chris Nolan came on board and reinvented Tim Burton's Batman in the successful Dark Knight trilogy. Brian Singer's 2005 Superman Returns, however, was seen as a huge disappointment for a number of reasons. Perhaps the number one reason for Superman Returns' failure or perceived failure was that it had too much reverence for the Christopher Reeve series and that it was just a little bit too much. A sequel was scrapped and the Man of Steel remake gave us a darker Superman in the vein of a brooding Batman style of filmmaking, yet I found that film hollow and bereft of any emotional connections. I did not identify with Clark, and I surely didn't identify with a Superman who allowed countless people to be killed in the destruction he helped to bring on. Overall, the film was a loud, product-placement-laden video game. The original Richard Donner film and its sequels transcended comic book fans, Non-comic audiences could follow the Donner films and identify. Attention span-deprived audiences of today find no reason to become vested into characters. Why care about whether it's Weber or Garfield's Spider-Man or Cavill's Superman when they will likely just get rebooted in a couple years? There is no emotional investment into the characters. Simply films become product to be consumed, processed, and unfortunately, shit out. Look, if I walk into a McDonald's in Paris or Camden, New Jersey, I want my Big Mac to be the same. I don't want variations. The same processed attitude applies to present day filmmaking. The reboot is just a burger. Repackaged, but it tastes the same. Jurassic World is no different than Jurassic Park. While it no longer comes in a styrofoam box, it still tastes the same. While fast food is a fine treat, it should not become the staple of our diet. Yet with each remake, it is becoming a part of our diet, and we are losing the ability to taste the difference between fast food and cuisine. Remakes, reboots, reimaginings, or whatever term you wish to use, they're becoming bigger parts of our diets, and audiences are becoming lethargic in their consumption of this product. They start becoming more leery about going out to the movies. There was literally a moment in Jurassic World when I wanted to stand up and shout to the entire theater, don't you people get it? It's the same goddamn movie, we're being screwed. In fact, I was waiting in the ticket line with like five college guys ahead of me. And they were likely kids when the first Jurassic Park came out. We were gonna be late for the start of the film and when one of them was very vocal about missing the opening, I interrupted and said, hey guys, What do you think we're going to miss? Some wide aerial shots of an island, people arriving, the Jurassic Park theme, and people staring in wide-eyed wonder at dinosaurs? After the film, that same guy saw me in the exiting crowd, and he came over and he said, dude, that's exactly how that shit opened. I replied, that shit was the right word for what we just spent money on. Yet people looked pleased as pigs and shit leaving the theater. So they got their Big Macs and all was well. I'm going to say it. The thrill of watching Harrison Ford do his own stunts in Raiders of the Lost Ark was diminished by the green screen fakery of Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. 
Seeing Han and Leia parted in Empire Strikes Back and Chewie throwing his head back with an anguished roar of defeat sent chills up my spine. Hearing Peter Finch tell the world he was mad as hell and not going to take it anymore network has been supplanted by green screen, computers, MTV style editing, camera filters, and scripts that are no longer stories, but set piece to-do lists that shepherd us along from one event in the film to another. Directors no longer direct, but rather manage their films, making sure they hit the merchandising targets that allow a franchise to be born. And out of all of this, our culture suffers. We lose a kind of innocence that movies can bring. We lose, perhaps, empathy in the process as well. Audiences no longer care. They just want to eat. Few discuss the taste and texture and aroma of a Big Mac. Few even look at the nutritional value. It tastes good, and they can keep making them as long as they taste good. And folks, that is what I think is the greater danger to theatrical exhibition than COVID-19. We need to look back at studios to be giving us product that makes us want to leave our homes and go through the trouble of spending $14 to $15 on a ticket price and another 50 at the concession stand. Look, I said it while I was running my multiplex. You don't have to do a bunch of bells and whistles. Just provide good content, clean theaters, and proper projection and sound. And people will come. But you got to make them want to come for something. So COVID-19 is a way to keep people away. However, bad filmmaking, unimaginative filmmaking, lazy filmmaking is far more greater of a threat to theatrical exhibition than any type of virus. This is Harrison Smith. Thank you for listening. I look forward to talking to you next time around.